0: can to serve the Lord. And uh, Matt went to Master's College years ago. He's a pastor's son. His dear mama's here tonight. And uh, his in-laws, they're going to critique him and be sure he does it right. And uh, uh, went there and went to school. Was a a buddy of Nick Orozco. And uh, that's how I first met Matt. And has aspired to be a man that could teach the Bible. And uh, This is the first opportunity he's had to preach here in the church, and we're looking forward to hearing him. We want you to come, Matt. Well, it's a a major privilege to be here preaching uh, God's Word tonight at Valley Bible Church. Uh, What a blessing. It's awesome. Um, I know I've been up here on stage before, and it's been a little bit intimidating making announcements because... I'm afraid that if I say the wrong thing, that the lights are going to get turned off and my microphone is going to get turned off because it's happened to me before. So if the Lord wills, I won't put my foot in my mouth too badly that you all want to kick me out of church here. But um, thank you, Pastor Phil, for having me tonight. Um, Forty years of faithfully preaching God's word has happened from this pulpit, happened from the pulpit across the parking lot, it's happened in pulpits at schools, dance halls. It's amazing to me. What a tradition. And I am just humbled, humbled that I could be here tonight and uh, just be a tiny, tiny sliver of that tradition. And I hope that uh, I can live up to that. Thank you, Pastor. I've got my family here tonight. Of course, my wife, Laura, uh, my children, my mother, Nancy. My, my, My wife actually had her parents and her grandmother come too. So my wife has four generations here tonight, which is amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing and hopefully they'll still uh, want me to be married to her after I'm done tonight. Um, But I am just so blessed to be here tonight. Um, I'm going to pray a short prayer before we begin. This is a a prayer that I learned at at the Master's College uh, from one of my professors, Dr. Will Varner, and we were in a class called Advanced Hermeneutics. Sounds real fancy, doesn't it? Yeah, we, 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 we pretended like it was real fancy. But he, he started with a real elaborate prayer. And it comes from Psalm 119.18. And it says this, Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And that's my prayer tonight. I just want to have my eyes open. I pray that you would have your eyes open too. So what I'd like for you to do is turn to the uh, book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And as you turn there, I'd like to read a famous proverb for you. A famous proverb. It's Proverbs chapter 16 and the verse is 18 and it goes like this. You're turning to Galatians 6. I'm going to read Proverbs 16, 18 for you. It says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Who in here has heard that verse before, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so we have been trained. We've trained ourselves. We are going to be the most humble people that we could possibly be. I don't ever want to be considered someone who's proud, who's haughty because I know that before that or right after that comes what? A fall. And so the question I have to ask tonight then is that is it ever appropriate to boast about anything? Is boasting ever appropriate? We just read we just read that pride goes before destruction. Well, I don't want to be destroyed certainly and I'm sure you don't either. What about boasting? What about boasting? Are we ever commanded in the Word of God to boast about anything? And I'm having you turn to Galatians chapter sixteen. Uh, excuse me, six. We're going to be looking at verses eleven through fourteen. Would it be strange to think that God would ever give an exception or a reason or even a command for His people to boast? Wouldn't that be strange if He come down and say, "I want you to boast. I want you to brag. I want you to glory in something." That's what he's done for us, though. But let me give you quickly the context of the book of Galatians here so you understand what's going on here. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the churches of, uh, of Galatia. Galatia was a region uh, in, the, in the Middle East, uh, in the area of Turkey, uh, to address a major doctrinal problem that was attacking these churches. Well, who was it? Well, we find in, in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Some who trouble you want to distort the gospel of Christ. There were some that were coming into these churches and attacking these churches and teaching them a different doctrine than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in his very subtle way, (laughs) says, don't you ever, ever receive a gospel other than the one that we delivered to you. In fact, if anybody comes to you, if I come to you, if an angel comes to you and says, I have another gospel to preach to you, let him be anathema, accursed. Send him out. And if the Lord, if, if, if anything ever like that happened here, I'm sure that the deacons and elders and pastors, we'd pick that person up by their, their pants and just take them right outside the door if they ever came here and tried to preach another gospel. But that's, that's what he's, he's dealing with. There were some who wanted to trouble the church and wanted to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what were they doing? They were, they were Judaizers. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says that even Titus, who was Paul's friend, he was with, with me, being Paul, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So the issue was surrounding circumcision. The issue was surrounding the old Jewish law, the rite of circumcision, that went all the way back to the father of Israel, all the way back to Abraham. And it was the identification of the Jewish people. It was the sign that they were God's people. And so now we've got this new gospel. We've got this gospel of Jesus Christ that says... The only sign that you need to know that you belong to God is a heart that trusts in Jesus Christ by faith alone. And so here we have these that are coming into, these Judaizers that are trying to trouble the church to say, well, faith is good, but you also need to add to yourselves this right of circumcision. So that's what they were trying to do. So why did Paul write this letter? He wrote to defend he wrote to defend this gospel and to proclaim this pure gospel. And in fact, he defines it for us in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He makes it very clear, very succinct. There's nothing else that you could add to this gospel. It is Jesus Christ alone. It is faith in him alone. And so we come to the end of this book, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. And that's that's where we'll begin tonight. Read along uh, as, as I read aloud. Galatians 6, 11. See with what what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is an extremely precious, precious passage for me. Uh, when I was in college, I picked up a book by Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, a, a famous preacher in London, uh, several uh, hundred fifty years ago or so. He wrote this wonderful book called The Cross and it was surrounding this verse that we're reading tonight, Galatians 6.14. And it's stuck with me ever since. It means so much to me. Again, I'll read it. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying this. He's saying, I'm crucified to the world. I'm no longer available to it. I'm dead to it. And in fact, when I look at the world, I see a dead thing back to me. I'm not available to it, and it's not available to me any longer. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying, there's a way that the world wants you to boast. There's a way that the world boasts, but I don't, I don't follow that line any longer. I boast in something different. And what I want us to see tonight from this passage is that the world craves to have you follow after its boast. But God has given us the one true reason to boast, I'll read that again. The world craves to have you follow after its boasts, but God has given us the one true reason to boast. We're going to see three ways that the the world wants you to boast, and I'm so thankful that there's just one reason, and we're going to look at that tonight. I'm so excited. I can't wait to get to the end. I'll try not to rush through it and get confused here, but uh, we're going to look at three ways that the world would want you to boast. First way. The first way the world wants you to boast is about how good you look. (laughs) How good you look. I I don't get to boast about that too often. My wife is so kind to me. She says, Matthew, you look handsome. I say, well, thank you very much. I've had one other person tell me that. That's my mother. Thank you. (laughs) But the world wants you to boast about how good you look. Look at verse 12 again. Look at that. It says this. It is those who want to, uh, to make a good showing in the flesh. Those that want to look good, when they go out, they want people to look at them and be impressed with how they look. Make a good impression. And really, this good impression doesn't necessarily have to do with outward appearance. It has to do with a self-righteous religiosity. Going out and people looking at you and saying, there is a righteous man. Look at what this guy does. Look at him. Look how he follows the law. Look how he obeys. Look at how much he gives to those in need. Look at all the accolades that he's achieved in his life, they could even be good things. But the idea here is that the reason that this person is doing this is because they want to look good in front of others. So the world wants you to to boast about how good you look. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 to 28. He says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' Man, could you imagine that, hearing that from the, from the mouth of Jesus pointed at you? Whew, man, intimidating. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. You are whitewashed tombs. Now, today we don't, we don't necessarily dress up any real big tombs, but we do try and decorate and make our, our tombstones look good, don't we? Those that we love. You know, Memorial Day just passed, and I saw pictures of all these cemeteries with the American flags for the veterans that have that passed, and we memorialized the sac- great sacrifice that they gave up. But back in these times, they had elaborate tombs, especially the wealthy. They would have these elaborate tombs, and, and they would decorate them and paint them up to make them look just gorgeous. But what's inside these tombs? Dead people, decaying people, bones. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this, these dead people's bones inside, inside these whitewashed tombs. How many of you watch those uh, home buying shows on television? I don't. You know, if you've seen it on HGTV or uh, TLC, inevitably I'm coming home and I'm excited about turning on whatever sporting event's on for that night. And I walk in the house and, So many times I've seen this. My wife's watching HGTV. Oh, man, where's the ESPN when I need it? But she watches uh, shows like Property Brothers, House Hunters, Love It or List It. Who here, you know know what I'm talking about. Man, if I ever buy a house, it better be like perfect because I am not the one that's a fixer-upper. I'm just too lazy to do it Too lazy to do it, so I won't do that. But what I what I find is that I'll actually find myself sitting and watching with her because I'm thinking, all right, as Christ loved the church, so I'm sure Jesus would have watched Property Brothers with the bride. So I'm sitting down watching Property Brothers, and I'm just shaking my head and, all right, as Christ loved the church, here we go. All right, so I'm watching this, and it's just brutal. It's absolutely brutal. But what I find interesting is that the people that I mean, they're gonna they pull up to this house, and the first thing they do is, what do they look at? Well, what's the outside of the house look like? They call it curb appeal, you know, adding, you know, a, a row of bushes or, or some sort of feature on the outside of the house because the, the, the biggest thing is you want to have that first impression, that curb appeal, and it just adds value to the house, right? Well, what I love is when they pull up, you know, and, and the, the realtor pulls them up, and they got them in their nice car and everything, and they pull up, oh, this is a really cute house. Look, I love how the mailbox is decorated and all they've done, and I'm just, I oh, mean, I'm like in my second REM cycle by this point, but, but they go in, right, and they open the door, and they're so excited, because this house has so much curb appeal, and they go in, and oh my goodness, the house is a mess, I mean, there's no appliances anywhere, like half the room's painted, there's wallpaper from like 1937, and you know, the plumbing's awful, and it's just, it's a wreck. And they think to themselves, oh my goodness, we better make sure we budget in some repairs. And so, uh, the whole idea though is that sometimes, sometimes our life could have that curb appeal. We're, We're out there, and when people drive by our life, they may look at us and they may think, Hey, wow, they really got it going on. But inside, we might have dead men's bones. We might have dead men's bones. Again, the world wants you to boast not about what's inside your heart. They want you to boast about how good you look. Let me ask you something. In your life, are you most concerned about curb appeal, how you look in front of others? Only what they can see rather than what they can know about what's going on in your heart? Do you have secret sins hiding inside of you? Cobwebs, dead men's bones inside of you? Do you have just a great public perception, but inside you're full of dead men's bones? Is that you? Are you only concerned about how good you look? That's what the world wants you to do. The world wants you to boast about how good you look. Well, the second thing, the second thing the world wants you to boast about, the world wants you to glory in your comfort. Kick back, eat, drink, and be merry. Get a great recliner, open a cold one, turn on the game, and kick back and relax. Look at verse 12 again. It says this. Verse 12, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And here's the reason why. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Aha, we find out why. We find out why their religion is only skin deep because they're afraid that if they truly sell out for Jesus Christ, and if they boast in him alone, it might cost them something. It might make them a little bit uncomfortable. Really, it's cowardice. It's cowardice, it's saying, I wanna look good, but I really don't want the full package. I just wanna be around church, but I really don't wanna sell myself out to say that I have a life that boasts and brags about Jesus Christ. I just wanna be around to make myself feel good so that I really don't have to deal with the issues in my heart. Unfortunately, the church has been full of people like this for ever since its beginning. Paul wrote about these people again in another book, Book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. I'll read it for you. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Did you hear that? Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. When it comes down to it, they may look like they're doing all of these wonderful religious activities, but when it comes down to it, the God that they bow down to is the God that is with inside of them. I want to make myself most comfortable I want to make sure that I'm fed and that I'm comfortable. They're not willing to give up anything for Jesus Christ. They're willing to be around his people, but but when it comes down to, to giving up something for him, no, they're not willing to do it. This was a problem in the early church, a big problem. The early church... You know, sometimes I, I used to think, man, it must have been awesome to be there at the early church, you know, hanging out with the apostles. I mean, the guys that saw Jesus, that walked with him when he ministered, saw his miracles, and I mean, just to hear the stories of what it was like to walk with Jesus. Well, I'm sure that part was, was fantastic, but, but other times they were running for their lives. They had people coming after them. The early church was a difficult, difficult time to, to be a Christian There was persecution all over the place. And and what's interesting, that with the persecution, another problem arose. There were those that, that wanted to be a part of the community, but when they saw the fire turned up and they saw the persecution coming, they ran in the opposite direction. They were called the lapses or the lapses. Those that were following Christ that said, yes, I'm committed to being a Christian, a slave of Jesus. But yet when persecution came in their face, they turned around and walked away and cowardly hid. You see, they wanted to boast to say, yes, I'm in the community, but when it came down to it, Jesus isn't worth it, that I'm gonna give up my life for him. And so this was a great problem. It's a great problem. I mean, could you imagine in the early church, there were those that stood in the time of testing. Not everybody fled. There were those that stood and said, no, I'm gonna stand for Christ. I'm gonna boast in him alone. He is more important to me than anything else that this world has to offer. And you know what that meant for them? It meant losing family members. It meant being imprisoned. It meant being thrown to the lions and killed. And then if they weren't killed, they would lose limbs. They would have their eyes gouged out. And so those that actually survived the persecution after they were released, they would come back and you know what? They would be in church just like they would be here tonight. Could you imagine if we had a church service and... And there were those walking among us with one leg, couldn't see because their eyes were gouged out, all because of the the cross of Jesus Christ. Wow, I'm a wimp. I am such a wimp. I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine it. But this was the reality of the early church. The ones who thought more highly of their own comfort, whose God was their belly, they were... were, uh, They were well. They were whole. They would walk into the church, and and so these lapses, they would try to come back after the persecution was over, and they'd say, "Well, we want to come back into the church. I mean, we were wrong to fall away from Christ. We were wrong to lapse away from Him, but we want to come back to Him now." And so the issue was: is do we let these people back in? Sure, God could God could allow forgiveness for them and repentance, but but what happens again when the fires are turned up again? Are they going to boast and love their belly more than their God? This was a major issue. I think about it today. What would it look like if we lived at that time? What would it look like? What would it look like if we had those in here that, that had limbs missing, that had eyes missing because they loved Christ more than themselves, because they boasted in Christ alone and not themselves, and yet there were some of us who were whole? I think about myself. Which one would I be? Would I be the one that would be, have a whole body, yeah, I'd have my body, but then I'd have in the back of my head. But I know when the testing came, I turned. I turned away from Christ. I boasted about what I, my own comfort rather than the glory of Jesus Christ. And then there were those that I could see that were walking around on canes and crutches and wheelchairs, had those that were helping them to their seats because they couldn't see, knowing that their families were killed, all because of the cause of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? So I have to ask you, and I know this is a heavy subject to think about, but this is, this is where we find ourselves in our text tonight. They were fleeing persecution. They were boasting about their own comfort rather than Christ. So I have to ask you, are you more passionate about your comfort than Christ? What if you had to give something up so that Christ would be made famous in your life? Would we recognize you because of the marks of Jesus on your body or your life? And in fact, Paul says that in Galatians 6, 17, a few verses down, he says, From now on, on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He had scars and he had bruises from the times that he had suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. Would you give anything up for Christ to boast about him? I want to give this up because I want to make him famous. Even if it costs me my life, I want the world to see Jesus Christ. Amazing, amazing stuff. Well, like I said, uh, we've seen three things here. How the world craves to have you follow after its boast. Again, number one was the world wants you to boast about how good you look. The world wants you to boast about your uh, glory and your comforts. And the third way that the world wants you to boast, it's those of the world Love to boast about what they know rather than what they're willing to do. (laughs) The world loves to boast about what they know rather than what they're willing to do. Look at verse 13 with me. It says this For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They didn't even keep the law themselves. They didn't even want to keep the law. They said, you know what? I'm not so worried about the law for me, but you know what? You, right there, you, you need to be circumcised. It's it's hilarious to me. These people are know-it-alls. They love to criticize others. They love to see others and see the problems in others and say, I've got an answer for you, but don't you dare come back and tell me you got an answer for me. I don't want to know anything about it. Jesus also addressed these types of people. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, I'll read it for you. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I mean, that's I don't know if Jesus was was using humor to teach a lesson there, but that's a funny image to me when you think about that. Somebody comes up to you, and you've just got a little speck of dirt in your eye, and here they are with some sort of tree branch sticking out of theirs. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've not seen this, but I know one person in this building who has, and that's my mother. She's sitting right there. My father used to think that he was the greatest downhill skier of all time. He loved skiing, and I was just a baby. Uh, I've just heard the story. I wish my mother had a smartphone at the time, and she could have taken a picture and put it all over Facebook of what happened to my father. But he was skiing downhill, and he was having a great time, and And it was getting toward the end of the day, so he did some extra night skiing. He was going to get some bonus skiing in, as if a whole day of skiing wasn't enough. So he's going down this hill, and he's skiing. And and what happens was at twilight, it got kind of icy in a part, and he lost control, and he just boom, he just smacked right into this tree. And I mean, it was like something you'd see on the cartoons or something. And he just tumbled over and and he was just an absolute wreck. And, you know, the people there that run the place, they come, hey man, are you okay? You just look destroyed there. Oh, I'm fine. And, but he could feel that his head really hurt real bad. So he just picked up some snow, you know, put some snow on it, you know, because he's a man. You know, that's what men do. Just put some snow on it. And so then he gets back on his skis and he goes down the hill and he's thinking to himself, all right, I, you know, my wife's waiting for me, and I got to make sure that she's not going to get too ticked off because I've been skiing all this time. So he comes down the hill, and he sees my mother, and walks up, and my mom could tell you here's my father walking up to her with this tree branch sticking out of his eye. I mean, he just got clobbered, and so he's got this tree branch sticking out of his eye. And uh, the, the story I hear is that she, he just kind of walks up to her and goes, What? You know, what I mean, she's got this look on his face like, What in the world happened to you? And he's, just, You know, what? that's the way it is we walk up and we've got this tree branch sticking out of our, our our face we got a log sticking out of our eye and we're walking up to somebody and say hey you got something in your eye right there it's like when, when you're sitting and eating with somebody and you know and I it's the worst thing when you're trying to talk with somebody and they got something stuck in their their teeth and you're trying to talk to them and they're trying to carry on a serious conversation you're just like hey man all right you got to go to the bathroom and take care of that thing in your tooth it's brutal right? You can't do it. You can't listen to what they have to say when they got something sticking right out that the whole world could see. But that's what what the problem was here. These guys were boasting about what they knew and what they could say and speak into the lives of other people, but they weren't even willing to obey the law themselves. It was an arrogant attitude. They knew that they had the log in their eye, but they wanted to ignore it. They wanted to point out and boast in the fact that, hey, I can see that there's something wrong with somebody else. And that thing that they felt was wrong was that they needed to be circumcised. Someone coming up to you, a a lawless person coming up to you and saying, you need to follow the law when you know that their life is anything but God-fearing. It's a lawless life. So are you a boastful know-it-all? Do you feel like you've got the lockdown on everybody else's problems, but you're not willing to change yourself? When you read or hear God's word, are you applying it to yourself or every other person who has problems? I find myself, I've been there before sitting in the pew and thinking, man, so-and-so, man, they need to hear this sermon. Man, man, listen to this. Pastor, man, you need to tell that person over there. But there you are right there. You need to hear the word too. You're the one that needs it. You're the one that needs to have the word in your heart. The world would love it if you would find a problem with everybody else except yourself so that you would never change and never boast about Jesus Christ. Satan is fine with having you boast about how you can criticize everyone else, but don't you dare. Satan would never want you to ever criticize yourself and think, I need to change. I need to repent of my sin. Three ways the world wants you to boast. The world wants you to boast about how good you look. The world wants you to glory in your comfort comfortableness, fleeing persecution, the world also uh, loves that you would boast about what you know rather than what you're willing to do. Well let's move on. Let's move on to the thing that we should be boasting about. We finally get to the key verse of this entire passage, Galatians 6:14. And I would tell you this, the only righteous ground for boasting is rooted in the divine work of God. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the sole grounds for boasting for anybody. If you want to boast before God, just boast in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, I'll read it for you. Galatians 6.14, it says this. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That first phrase there, it says, but far be it from me. Paul is saying, may it never be. God forbid. Don't even let it enter your mind. Let it be far from us that we boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never let it ever come into this heart. Never let it come into my mind, out of my mouth, in this building, from this pulpit, ever any boast except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it never be what does it mean to boast? I mean, that's kind of a weird word, right? I mean, we have so many negative connotations with this. You know, you go, go back to the verse I read at the beginning that pride goes before destruction, right? Well, what does this mean? What is this boasting? Is it arrogance? Now, this is what the word means. It means to praise, to glory in, to take joy in, and to take it even further, it would say to find worth and satisfaction in, to say this is is the thing that is most valuable to me. The thing that is most valuable to me out of everything in the whole universe, I find this worth boasting about and praising and glorying in. And Paul says that it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that is a loaded phrase. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to think about all that's wrapped up in those few words, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so precious. Is he talking just about a, a piece of wood that was used in, as an instrument of execution? No, he's talking about all the riches, everything that was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ as he shed it there on that cross. Paul wrote about this kind of boasting also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. He said this, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And it says this, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We have one reason to boast, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is worth boasting about for all of eternity, is he not? I feel like I'm pretty good at boasting. I feel like I'm really good at it. I'm used to it. I'm a sports fan. And the duty of a sports fan is to be boastful about the team that you align yourself with. And in case you don't know me that well, um, (laughs) oh, here we go, please don't shut off the lights now. In case you don't know me, I'm a fan of all things sports-wise when it comes to the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's, you know, the Pittsburgh with an H on the end, way back in Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I love the Pirates, I love the Penguins, but when the fall comes and the air gets cooler and the leaves change, oh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I just love it. It's wonderful. But what's great about being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan is that, is that you walk into a stadium and you walk in with a sense of pride. You wear the jerseys of the teams that, that won so many titles and Ray Molinar is showing me his Niner jersey back there. I see it, Ray, I know, man, geez. But what's great is you walk around as a Steeler fan and you're proud. And what's great about Steelers fans is if you've been to a, a, a Niner or Raider game, when the Steelers in town, we try and take over your stadium. We're going to take it over. And it's not your stadium anymore. It's ours. We love to boast about it. And so I I love to boast about the Steelers. I know their stats. I know that they've been to the Super Bowl eight times. I know that they've won it. um, Wait, I just think about the Niners. They got five. I add one. Oh, that's right. Six Super Bowl titles for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's easy easy to remember. That's, That's always my way to remember it. But the one thing, the one thing that Steeler fans, every Steeler fan uses to promote their team is this. And I'll show you what it is. Careful now. Careful now. Just follow me. Just just be gracious to me. It's this right here. I got it upside down. It's the terrible towel. The terrible towel. Now, this, this is a terrible towel. Now, What the Steeler fan uses is they they use this towel to show their presence at a stadium, especially at their home stadium. And they wave this towel around. And what I love is that you'll see on like Facebook and things like that, Steelers all Steeler fans all over the world they'll take their terrible towel and they'll take pictures of it then with the terrible towel up on the eiffel tower or they'll take it and they'll go to the 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 oh you're laughing you think this is funny they'll go to the pyramids at egypt and they'll take their picture i'm at the i'm at the pyramids at cairo and i got my terrible towel i mean they think this is the coolest the terrible towel has been all over the world it's been to antarctica i believe it's been up in space i mean this is the identification of a steeler fan it's this towel, and we're, we boast about who we are as Steeler fans, and this is our identification, the terrible towel. And you will, we're, we're willing to endure anything. I've been in Steeler games where it was like 100 degrees, and I've been at Steeler games where it was like 5 degrees, and windchill was like zero. We'll endure anything for our team because we love this team. We love this team. We're willing to boast about it. We find them worth boasting on. Again, they have six Super Bowl championships. But what if Christians were marked by something like this? What if Christians were marked by a towel? And now you'll probably like this. I'm going to cover up the terrible towel. I'm going to take it down. I'm going to give you a towel that's worth boasting about because you see because you see I found that even though I root for the greatest football team in all the world, man, they still they still lose sometimes. Just sometimes. And boy, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's just a, such a bummer. I come home from church and I'm just like, man, what a service. I watch the Steelers and they lose and just like, why did I even waste my time? It's disappointing. It's disappointing. But I'm telling you, there's a team. We wave the towel of a team that never disappoints. We boast in a God and a Savior that never disappoints. It's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world's been crucified to us and we've been crucified to the world. We will boast in Jesus Christ alone. The cross of Christ. What would it be like if we did that though? <laughs> you know, I, I love to take my terrible towel when I'm going to a Steeler game. I just stick it right in my back pocket. Everybody knows I'm a Steeler fan. What if, we, what if we had towels like this that marked us as believers that we wore in our back pockets or we waved around to say, look, look at Jesus. Look at the team that I'm rooting for. Look at this Jesus. What if we had towels like that? I have to tell you, when my team loses, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I kind of tuck my towel away. I have like 15 of them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I tuck my terrible towel away when they lose. Is there any reason ever to tuck this towel away? Is there any reason to ever tuck Jesus Christ away? Does Jesus Christ ever fail? Does he ever disappoint? Does he ever lose? Never. Never. If God were to ask you to say, would you boast on my son? Would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing to wave this towel for Jesus Christ? Is Jesus worthy enough in your eyes that you would boast in him? I think about tonight. I I love our communion services. I, I regret that for so many years I, I skipped them because I, I always felt that there was something uh, more important to do. Again, uh, my God was my belly in those moments. Uh, thank, thank the Lord that he spared me from that. But I just want to ask you, tonight when we get ready to, uh, to share communion. Is there anything worth bragging about, Jesus, when we take the bread and we take the juice? I mean, that's really what Jesus asked us to do, didn't he? We're reminded in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 to 26, using Jesus' words, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do you love him enough to remember him? Do you love him? In- and it's easy to do it here. I, I admit, it's, it, I-, I come to these services and I go home and it's like, man, I feel like I just am glowing with the glory of Jesus. I mean, it's just amazing stuff to enjoy this, this Lord's Supper tonight. I want to ask you something. We can remember and boast on Jesus here at the Lord's Supper. And I pray that we do that with all of our hearts here in just a couple of minutes. But what about tomorrow morning, uh, tomorrow morning Monday morning? all oh, Mondays. Oh, my goodness. If you're anything like me, you'll have a great time here tonight. You'll walk right through those doors. You'll open those doors up. And as soon as those doors, those glass doors shut, and you get in that car, what's the first thing that goes in your mind? I need to get home. I need to set up the coffee in the morning. I got to set my clothes out. I, and I, just like you, I'm going to be on the road. I'll be on I-80 West, and then I'll go straight down to Oakland, and I work for a plumbing wholesaler. We sell toilets for a living. Thank the Lord. I, I feed my family because we sell toilets, you know? At, at, praise God. But I'll be just like you, and I found, man, many Monday mornings, I get the, I get the blues, man. I get the blues, and I know you do too, especially after Sunday services like tonight. Oh, man, Easter Sunday, boom, amazing. And then the Monday after Easter Sunday, I don't know if you found it, man. Woo man, oh, I'm blue, I'm low. I hate that. I hate that. But just like there's a reason to remember and boast about Jesus Christ tonight, is there a reason to boast about Jesus Christ on Monday morning? There is. There's a reason to boast and wave this towel for Jesus Christ when you're going to your commute on Monday morning. There's, and, if you, and if you pass me, just wave to me. Hopefully I'll be on at least my fourth or fifth sip of coffee and I'll recognize you and wave back to you. But is there a reason to boast about Jesus on your commute? Is there a reason to boast about Jesus when you sit down and you're checking your emails or if you get there and you put the gear on and start digging that ditch or, or whatever it might be? Is there a reason to boast about Jesus on Monday morning? That's the kind of Jesus I want. I want a Jesus that's with me at communion service on Sunday night, and one that's with me on Monday morning. I want a Jesus that I can boast about in the high times and the low times. I want a Jesus uh, that I could boast about when I can't pay my bills. I want a Jesus that I could boast about when I'm sick. I want a Jesus that I could boast about when I'm burying loved ones. I want a Jesus worth boasting about, and He is worthy. He is boast worthy. Do you have any reason to boast about Jesus tonight? My goodness. Well, let me just give you a few things. You don't have to rack your brain too much if you've read your Bibles. We can boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus because through him we have some of these things. We have atonement. We're made one with God. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can boast because we have forgiveness of sins. Who in here has been forgiven, forgiven of their sins? Because of Jesus Christ, we could boast in Him because we've been justified in His courtroom. We've been declared right before Him because of the cross of Jesus Christ, our sins have been propitiated. Jesus actually appeased the wrath of God for us. That's something we could boast about, about the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, through the cross of Jesus Christ, we also have been redeemed. God actually looked down on you and said, I want to buy that person, even that Steeler fan down there, and I want to buy them and bring them into my family and make them a fan of my son, Jesus Christ. He bought me, he redeemed me, and he redeemed you too. We can boast about Jesus because he's set us free from our sins and our addictions. We could boast about Jesus because we have been freed from all fears. We could boast about Jesus because we have assurance of salvation. Even as we face death, we can be assured, I'm going to see him face to face. We could boast about the cross of Jesus because we have an everlasting hope. We could boast about the cross of Jesus because he's given us a new nature and made us a new creation. We could boast about Jesus because we've been adopted into a new family. Wow, adopted into a new family. We can boast about the cross of Jesus because through him we have full access to the Father. You can always pray to the Father because we have full access through Jesus Christ and through his cross. We can boast about the cross of Jesus because he's given us the indwelling Holy Spirit that will never let us stray too far from him. Oh, I'm so thankful for that spirit. We can boast about Jesus because our citizenship is in heaven. Again, there it is. Wave that towel. You belong to heaven. We can boast about Jesus because we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and this is probably my favorite. We can boast about the cross of Jesus because he's given us victory over death. Do you have any reason to boast about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that it would happen here tonight as we get to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would boast in Christ, all giving your all to him But my prayer tonight is that when you go out those doors, you would not allow the world to make you a part of its boasting system. Again, the world wants you to boast about how good you look. The world wants you to boast about how comfortable you feel in keeping comfortable. The world wants you to boast about, about how much you know, but not really how much you're doing. But God has given us a different reason to boast, and that is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've been convinced from the word tonight. This is God's holy word. I've heard this passage before. I've I've been taught the word of God, but there was a time in my life when I wasn't fully convinced yet. I was still sitting on the sidelines. I felt that my own pleasure and my own time and my own energies were more important to me than God having all of me. And there was a time when I I felt like, well, I want to do something for God, but I'm just not available. I'm just not available. And I'm so thankful for, for men in my life. I think of Pastor Phil in my own life taking me down right down to his office downstairs and sitting me down and saying, Matthew. Do you love him? How come you don't boast in him? How come you're not made yourself available to him? And I was so afraid to do that. I didn't want to give up my own comforts. I didn't want to give up Uh, just the perception of looking good and really digging deep because I knew that if I was going to make myself vulnerable, maybe people would actually see that I really don't look so good. But I have to tell you, I was about six years ago, Pastor Phil, and ever since then, all I said was, God, I don't know how, but I'm just going to make myself available to you and I'm going to boast in Jesus. I'm done boasting about my own time. I'm done boasting about my own credentials. You see, I, I was the son of a pastor. I graduated from the master's college. Uh, I, I've been sitting under preaching and teaching and theology all my life, and so I felt that I had something that should have been handed to me. I felt that I could boast about my own works and my own pedigree, but Jesus, Jesus was telling me, no, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to fly. When are you going to start waving my towel? When are you going to start boasting in me? And I have to tell you, just from personal testimony, my life has never been the same. You start boasting in Jesus, and you just realize Every single day, how much more worthy he is to be boasted upon. I can't wait. I boast about him tonight and tomorrow. I think, I can't wait. How am I going to boast about him tomorrow? How am I going to boast about him the next day? How am I going to boast about him the day after that? Boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I offer it up to you. May it never be that Valley Bible Church ever boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to us, and us to the world. To God be the glory. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, thank you again so much for your holy word. Uh, Father, I feel that the passage was so heavy. It's con- so convicting to me. I see so many ways that I still seek to boast about my own endeavors, my own achievements. But oh, far be it from me, far be it from anybody in this room that we would ever come to you and say, well, I lived a good life. Look how good it looked on the outside. Or, or if they were to come to you and say, well, I, I walked the walk, but I, I never sacrificed anything for you. Or, or I really knew what everybody else's problem was. I knew the the words to say, but I just wasn't willing to live the life. Far be it from any of us that we would be caught up in the world's boast. Father, oh, allow us to boast in Jesus Christ alone. What a gift it is. What a Savior you've given to us to boast in. Oh, Father, we love you. I can't wait now as we break the bread and, and drink the juice that we get to brag on Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd fill up our hearts that we could do that tonight in a way that's worthy of the Son who gave us life up for us all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.